Well, as you know, all this year we are going to pursue holiness together. And as I said last week, holiness is such a monumental gift of God, such a monumental change from who we are ordinarily, that it's not something you can just hop right into. It's not something like, oh, I'm going to be holy today. Because it's not a human effort that gets us there. It's not the Christian version of New Year's resolutions. It's not about behaving better. It's about receiving the character of God. And, and we are not used to that. As a matter of fact, the word holy in its root meaning means other or separate or something in, entirely different from what you're used to. And so we must prepare for holiness. You know, last week we talked about prayer as a way of God's communicating Himself to us, not just His words to us, but communicating Himself to us. And so this prayer is a very important part of preparation, and a preparation is very important and even necessary to holiness. As a matter of fact, uh, I, was, I heard... Uh, uh, Bobby Knight one time uh, on 60 Minutes. Is it, is it a sacrilege to start a sermon with a quote from Bobby Knight? Anybody? Probably borders on it, doesn't it? But I, we'll go ahead anyhow. Because all God's truth is, uh, all truth is God's truth, no matter who says it. And so Bobby Knight was on there. And as many of you know, Bobby's a, kind of the cantankerous and flamboyant and uh, controversial coach of the Indiana Hoosiers. And uh, he, um, this is sinful as far as Vernon's concerned, I know, because Vernon's a Kentucky fan. But forgive me, Vernon. We're brothers, and I know you will. Uh, but they were talking to Bobby about what really is the winning combination. He has such successful teams year after year after year. And the, and the commentator offered his own summation. He offered his own uh, uh, presupposition. He said, I bet it's the will to win, isn't it? And Bobby said... You know, the will to win is very important. But there's something even more important than the will to win. And that is the will to prepare. To go out every day and go through the drills and go through the, the, the activities that, it will, that will get you ready to where the championship behavior is not just second nature, it's first nature. The will to preparation, you know, it's not enough just to say, I want to be holy. It's even more important to be able to say, and I want to be holy badly enough that I would prepare to be holy. And I know that it's necessary that I learn to pray. Not how to pray, not what to say, not how to get what I want, but I learn to pray. Now, let's talk about this huge task, this admonition from Scripture that's in the first, uh, that's in the New Testament from Paul that says pray without ceasing and is also in the Old Testament. If you turn um, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11, this is the Old Testament version of it. And if we are to get into a pattern of prayer, we've got to do some very practical work in our lives because that's not the pattern of our everyday right now. This is what it says in chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles. Seek the Lord and His strength. Now, it is very important that you hear those, those last two words, and His strength. Because what I'm going to be talking about this morning is a behavior change, but we have to be very careful. Because holiness doesn't come from us changing our behavior. That's not holiness. That's simply something of the flesh. 
that hopefully cooperates with the Spirit. And so we, 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 must, we must understand that what we do, we can't do in our own strength. Or else it's just another means of human improvement. That won't get us holiness. Seek the Lord and His strength. Now look at the next line. Seek His face continually. Again, how do you do that? Most of us, this is the farthest thing from our day that we could guess. Well, it's very simple. Very simple. And, I, and by the way, this is not going to be one of those big heart-wrenching sermons. This is going to be very practical. That's why you have those cards and pencils in your hand. Because as I preach through here, I want you to be conscious of something that you could, you could give up and replace something of the Lord with that. Okay? I'll, I'll explain, to it, uh, explain it as I go. But uh, don't, don't be looking to be wowed this morning. Uh, I'm going to quit preaching and go to meddling here anytime. It's a very simple physical rule that no two things can occupy the same space at the same time. You know that in the physical, in the physical realm. Any of you who ever tried to take small kids in the back seat anywhere for any, any, any length of time know that no two things can occupy the same place at the same time. It's a philosophical axiom that says that the law of non-contradiction means that A cannot be both B and non-B at the same time in the same place in the same sense. So therefore, two things can't occupy the same space. Jesus said this, a man can't serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. 1 John 2.15 says this, you can't love the things of the world and love God at the same time. Can't do it. Got to make a choice. So if we are to make prayer a part of our day continually, guess what? We're going to have to give something up. There's only two ways that we can really do that realistically. One is to say, we're going to make something that we do with great regularity, something that is dedicated to God from now on. We're going to change it, in other words. It's not just going to be an activity, it's going to be a ministry. We're going to change the routine into something that reminds us of God and gives us praise of God. Now, we're, we'll, we'll do that uh, on a song. The last song we do today, we're gonna, it'll, this will surprise you. This is kind of the, the um, ecclesiastical O. Henry uh, uh, dynamic where we give you a surprise ending. But there, there, there are ways that you can do that. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is the second way. And that is to actually replace something in your life with something of God, something that is routine with something that is of God. That's what I want to talk about this morning, because it's very important that we understand that what we have done over a period of time, as we have, as we, as we have tried to, to, to include the Lord in our lives, is the more stuff we include in our lives, the more the, the Lord gets shoved aside. Now, this is no secret. This is nothing new. This has happened for centuries. As a matter of fact, if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's an admonition to the children of Israel just before they go into the promised land. There's a warning and there's a prediction, and the prediction is very true. It says this, starting with verse 11, Deuteronomy 8, 11. It says, Beware 
lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today, lest when you have eaten and are satisfied. Now, here is beginning to list the tendency. All of us live this life, and we we begin to arrange our lives in ways that satisfy us, ways that, that become convenient for us, ways that make life easy for us. And that's perfectly predictable and perfectly normal. But it has an unpredictable result. Look what it says. When you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And it talks about Him leading us through the the wilderness and, and feeding us the manna every day. And verse 17 says, You may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth. This says what is very true in America today. That the more stuff we get in our lives to make our lives convenient, the more likely we are to forget God and to replace Him with that stuff. I read a book not too long ago, uh, well, it's been a couple of years ago now, I think, uh, Virtual, uh, Virtual America, I think it was, by George Barna. George Barna is kind of the George Gallup of uh, religious surveys. And, and he did several surveys that were of interest to me. First of all, see, see where you fit in these categories, by the way. He said two-thirds of Americans say that their life is getting just too complicated. How many, how many of you would fit into that category? Most of us would. Life is getting too complicated. I wish it were simpler. It's just getting too complicated. In other words, there's too much stuff shoved in here. But those same people, 60% of Americans say, my life is very satisfying. I am very satisfied with my life. And another 30% would say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with my life. That's 90%. So what that translate into, uh, translates into, even though there's a, there's a bunch of stuff in my life, I'm pretty satisfied with it. That's what it means. Over half of Americans would say, I'm better off than I was five years ago. I don't know where you'd fit into that, but over half of Americans would say that. My life, personally, is better than it was five years ago. If you, if you just survey evangelicals, 79% of the evangelicals would say that. My life is better, personally, than it was five years ago. But here comes the rub. When it comes to something beyond our personal lives, when it comes to the life of the country, when it comes to the shape of our country, people overwhelmingly say that it's worse than it was five years ago. By a ratio of seven to one, Americans say this. We're not worse as far as political awareness or as far as tolerance or as far as compassion. But by a ratio of seven to one, we are much worse when it comes to things that have to do with ethical issues. We are much worse when it comes to taking personal responsibility for our lives. We are much worse when it comes to the capability and the willingness to commit to one another in relationships. We are much worse when it comes to uh, simple, everyday, ethical and moral issues. 
Do you know basically what that survey, what those surveys is telling us? It's telling us that Deuteronomy 8 lives today. We have become satisfied. We have become personally satiated. But the things of the Lord have gotten shoved out to the side. Now what happens if you care about people beyond yourself? What happens if you care about the shape of the community of the nation or the place where we live beyond your own personal comfort? What happens is there's got to be a way that, you, that, you, that you, you invite the Lord back in. And there is a way, and it's called fasting. Now, I don't mean by fasting just doing without stuff you like. I mean by fasting, replacing that stuff that would ordinarily be your substitute gratification. The thing that kind of makes you happy with the things that really mean something and are eternally valuable. Turn with me, for example, to Psalm chapter 35, verse 13. This is a prayer for da of David for his enemies when his enemies were hurting you don't have to love the rest of the country. <laughs> you just have to have compassion for them. Look at what it says in verse 13. It says, as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. In other words, sackcloth is a clothing of repentance and, and humility and despair. My clothing, I despaired when they were sick. It says, I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. Do you see how he couples fasting with prayer? And that's what I want us to do today. Because it's not enough just to do without something. I know all kinds of people who try to improve their lives by just stop doing bad things. Or just stop... Uh, 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 using stuff that, that is immoral or, or going through behaviors that, that they know are wrong. That's not a bad motivation. It's just a, it's just a bad strategy. Because you can't maintain a vacuum. Nature hates a vacuum. The spiritual world hates a vacuum. Remember when Jesus said, <clears throat> you know, there was a householder who had a demon in his house, and, the, and, and he came in and he swept it all clean, and the demon went out, and the house remained empty. And, and, and the demons were out there looking for some place to land, some place to call home. And when they saw that house was, em was empty, they came back and they were seven times as strong. You know what, you know what happens when, our, when in our life we, we couple holiness just with stop doing bad stuff? It only lasts for a little time. And then we go right back to what we were doing. And it's even stronger. It's even got a stronger hold on us than it did before. Why? Because the spiritual world. And the natural world hates a vacuum. So therefore, we must replace what we are fasting from with those things that are of the Lord. We must replace that which doesn't satisfy with that which does satisfy. You know this in a diet. Those of you who simply stop trying. I don't know how many of you made New Year's resolutions. Probably plenty of you. New Year's resolutions. And, and, and I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop eating this. I'm just simply going to stop. I'm going to tell, I'm, I'm telling you right now, the most famous diet book ever, 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 ever written, Overcoming Overeating, or, or one of the, one of the best ones, said this. Put it, put her finger, they put their finger right on it. 
They said, if you think a diet is to stop something, you are positioning yourself for failure. She said, the best diet is the diet that retrains our mind not to stop eating, but to get more focused on the kind of eating we want to do, the kind of eating what we really want. It's not about doing without food. It's about not eating just because it's time to eat, not eating just because other people are eating. It's about not eating when you're not hungry. It's about eating when you're hungry exactly what you want in exactly the amount you want and to stop right then after you're full. And that is the diet. So that is true in a spiritual sense also. We can't just do without and pretend to become holy. Do without what is bad. Because nature abhors a vacuum. I read a a story in the World Press Review not too long ago. It came out of the Hindu. It's a newspaper in India. It's uh, published, I think, in Madras. And they were doing an an evaluation of of Russia post-communism. And they said, here are these people who who have had subtracted from their lives all of the things that offered them security, which coincidentally were the exact same things that, that held them captive, that took away their freedom. You know, the, the supplied housing, the, everything was free and so on and so forth. Those were the, that's very, the very thing that kept them enslaved, but those were the things that, that offered them uh, uh, the security. And now they've taken away all of those things and they've not yet gotten to the place, <coughs> excuse me, where, where they have this, this free uh, capitalistic uh, environment where they're, where they're getting the resources along with the freedom. So they're in the middle here, and they're just hurting like crazy. Well, I know Christians who are the same way. They're trying to stop sinning, but they've got nothing to replace it. So they're just hurting like crazy. They haven't replaced it with things that are permanently satisfying yet, so they're just hurting like crazy. Teresius in, uh, in Antigone, it's an it's a, it's a ancient Greek tragedy, said this to an evil king. He said, To err is human, true, but only those, who stay, who, only those stay condemned who, after sinning, do not repent, do not repair. In other words, it's not just enough to get rid of the sin. You've got to repair it. You've got to go on to something else. And so that's what we need to learn today. We not only got to subtract the things in our life today that are substitutes for God, but we've got to actually, as we subtract them, have God come into those places. Now let me give you, very quickly, four very practical areas where you can do this. All right? You ready for this? And as I'm going through these, I want you to feel free to write down on your card if the Holy Spirit reminds you of something that you could do without this week. Maybe you could just do it without it for an hour. And during that hour, you could pray or read Scripture. Maybe you could do it without it all day. Maybe you could do it without it all week. But let me just go down four categories of things that the Bible says we replace God with in this world. First, the category of sound, the category of sight and sound, of being entertained with things that are very other than God. How much of your day is taken up with a background of sound? How much of, how much of your... Let me, let me ask you this. The Bible says, be still 
and know that I am God. When is the last time you were just still for a long time? That's tough, isn't it? That's very difficult. Let me ask you something more specifically. When's the last time you drove across town without the car radio on? Without the car radio. Or without playing a CD or some sort of music within the car. Let me ask you this. Would it be possible for you for an entire day or maybe an entire afternoon or maybe all week, I don't know, to turn the car radio off so that, watch this, you could pray for the people in traffic around you. Well, that's kind of a strange idea, isn't it? You say, I don't know what they need. You don't need to know what they need. God knows what they need. What's the Bible say? The Bible says the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And if you are righteous in Jesus Christ, that is, if you have Christ in your life, that means you have His righteousness. So you can pray for them, and it will have a great effect whether or not you ever know what they need. But let me take you to a second step of this. I'm telling you a good deal of the time, you can know how to pray for them. Watch this. By reading their bumper stickers. <laughs> Think about it for a minute. Think about it. Have you ever pulled up behind somebody and seen a bumper sticker like I have, like, uh, I believe in unicorns. There's a bumper sticker that says, I believe in unicorns. Well, if I, pray, if I pull up behind somebody like that, I'm going to pray for their theology, aren't I? I'm going to say, Lord, give them a little bit more accurate theology than that. What about, have you ever pulled up behind somebody who says, my kid can beat up your honor student? <laughs> you ever done that? Well, you probably know how to pray for a guy like that, wouldn't you? There may be some anger issues there, you know, control issues, whatever. Real power issues. You know how to pray for somebody like that. Yes, that's not... You, what about, have you ever pulled up behind somebody that, that has an escapist Bible, uh, or escapist bumper sticker that says, that says uh, don't blame me, I didn't vote for him. See, that says, I don't want any responsibility. Or, beam me up, Scotty, you know. You've seen those. What the, you just pray that, they, that they, they do take responsibility. That they, that they contribute something instead of trying to escape something. You can, you, can pray, you can pray for our entire schools when you pull up behind people and they got bumpers, school bumper stickers. You can, you, can have all, you can really have a ball praying just, just from the bumper stickers. Or how many of you have ever pulled up to a, to a, a stoplight and your car starts shaking because some car somewhere in that intersection has speakers this big, <laughs> this bass thing. And you're just, your car's just going like this, and you're hearing this, bah, 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 bah. What would you pray for then? How about praying for the deaf? Pray for the deaf. Or those that are going deaf, you know. Listen, you can do this thing. You can, you can, you can think of others, and you can pray for others. Let me give you a second category. What about the busyness of life? How many of you does your busyness, does your schedule just take you away from even, even thinking about God? What if, you, what if it turned out, how many of you just run from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing and that's all you're thinking about? What about if you would fast from busyness for a little bit? Not run right to work 
or, 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 or lay off for a little while the computer screen, or, or change some of the habits that you just do automatically, and so therefore you're never thinking, because there's a certain behavior in your life. How many of you have relationships? You have a behavior of every time you get threatened, you run to a certain relationship for comfort. And many times you don't get what you need. Why don't you fast from that dynamic of that relationship for a while and say, you know, the Lord, the next time I get threatened, instead of going to them, I'm going to go to you. That a big a big relief to us both. But I'm not going to substitute that relationship anymore. How many of you are in relationships right now that actually keep you from the Lord? And you need to fast from those and go back to the Lord. Or how many, how many just in simple ways, things that you do, just stuff like around church here. You never even think of, but what, but what about if, uh, if next Sunday when you drive into church, instead of taking the first parking space available, see, people never even think of this. This is the American way, first come, first serve, right? But many of you are healthy and can walk a long way. And so what if you were to park the farthest out, find the yellow Jeep, park around it, <laughs> and walk in, and as you're walking in, pray for the people who are walking in. Because you're not here just to receive, you're here to give. And so you're not only here just to worship on your own, you're here to worship with them, and you're praying for their worship experience. You know what that does? That leaves spaces for the elderly, it leaves spaces for the single moms. Did you ever see these single moms dragging, the, you know, these little line of kids in? These, these single moms are my heroes. They're the heroes as far as I'm concerned. They're the ones that haven't given up. They're, they're, they're absolutely pulling two people's weight, and they're taking responsibility. What if they have to come in from all the way across the parking lot? They're dragging little kids. You remember what it was like when you have tiny ones? you got to take your whole house with you. I mean, there's a backpack this big. Why in the world wouldn't we who are healthy walk in praying for other people and let those ones who, are, who need those spaces have them? Even the latecomers. I, I know at, at 11, 15, we've got a lot of latecomers. And, and, and maybe some people had a real rough night the night before. And they woke up and they were trying to decide whether or not to come to church. And so they finally said, okay, I'll go. What would be, wouldn't it be great if somebody would just leave them a parking space because that was the first break they got all week? Wouldn't that be great? See, just little... Let me ask you another question. How many of you have your favorite spot to sit in the sanctuary? And you go to, you go to approximately that spot every week. Okay, that's my seat. And I'm ready. My grandmother had that. Third pew from the back on the left. You know, And unless she was in that pew, she just couldn't worship right. <laughs> you know what that says? That says, my worship depends on a behavior, and that behavior says, okay, I'm ready now to receive. What if you would intentionally start sitting for di at different places in the sanctuary, intentionally start to pray for people around you? Well, you would be praying for some new folks, and then intentionally meet them, have, have some way just to, just to say hi to them, just to greet them with a smile. You see, the behavior change would give you an opportunity to pray that you don't take right now. And it would replace coming in, fill me up, with coming in, praying, fill me up, praying, greeting, going out. Just a behavior change. 
What about those of you who do need to fast from substances that you substitute for um, going to the real healing source for emotions? How many of you eat when you're nervous or when you're happy or when you're anything? How many of you are using tobacco right now as something as a way to calm yourself down? Or, or, or alcohol as a way to calm yourself down? Or drugs as a way to give yourself peace? You know, you know this as well as I say it. Those things don't give you peace. They don't, gi- they don't give you satisfaction. All they do is increase your appetite. You know that. Nothing's going to give you peace except God. Jesus said, you, come, you followed me be- not because you believed me, but because you ate bread. I gave you bread to eat. Don't labor for the bread which perishes. Labor for the bread that lasts always. How many of you this week could say, I'm not going to smoke in the afternoon. Every time I feel like a cigarette, I'm going to, like having a cigarette, I'm going to pray. Or I'm going to read scripture. Or, or I'm, not going to eat, I'm not going to eat chocolate chip cookies tonight. You know, it's a small thing, but it's a big thing to me. And, and, and rather than eat chocolate chip cookies, I'm going to read my Bible instead. Just, just to, to pray a little bit more continually than I have. And the last one is, what about fasting from emotions? Some of us take refuge in our most familiar emotions. Do you know how many people worry all the time? And they don't feel comfortable unless they're worrying. Do you know of anybody who doesn't, who isn't quite comfortable unless they found something to worry about? Yeah, that's their familiar emotion. And so that's their habit. That's their substitute for going to God. What about those people around you who are angry? How many people do you know who live, thrive on anger? They absolutely are furious. Furious all the time. Cutting all other people down all the time. Why? Well, because that's their form of control or form of uh, energizing themselves or, or whatever. What about self-pity? How many people you do know right now are just having a real pity party a long way away? It's not that they don't, not that they don't have problems. Of course they do. But many people indulge themselves with this victim mentality instead of going to God and saying, you know what, I am so thankful for what you have given me. I am so thankful that you came to save my soul and, and, and all, for all eternity. I'm, go- I'm going to live with you because, because Jesus Christ was the payment for my sins. I am so glad about that. What about if you would just fast, or if, if, you, if you worry warts would say, you know what, I'm going to choose a day, and I'm going to get up, and every time I start to worry, I'm going to say, God, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to leave this to you just today. I'm putting you in charge. I know you can fix this better than I can. You do this every time you start to worry, or every time you start to get angry. God, I'm not going to get angry. I'm going, to get, I, I'm going to have your peace and your joy, and I'm going to have your love toward these people. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Only, only you can do it, but I'm going, to, I'm going to do that. Or you fast from this self-pity. You see, you see how this works? Okay, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray right now. And then, after I pray, I'm going to ask you, as, this, as the worship team comes back, to take out those cards and to let the Holy Spirit lead you into writing something down that you're going to fast from this week. You're going to do it for whatever period of time. And then to write down under it what you're going to substitute that will get you, bring you closer to God in its place. All right? Okay, pray with me. 
God, first we would ask you not to make this an effort of the flesh, not something that we simply do in order to uh, be better behaved. Make it a real yearning for you, wanting to provide a, a place in our lives that we had not provided for before, for you to come and just inhabit our lives so that we can indeed pray more continually than we had and we can prepare for holiness better than we had before. Lord, I just pray that you would send your Holy Spirit on all of us and give us a picture of one or two things this week that we could do in a very concrete way so that we could come closer and, and pray more. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.